Hello, my name is Joanna Burke and I'm Professor of Rhetoric here at Gresham College. I'm really, really thrilled that you can come for this is the fifth of a series of six um, talks that I'm giving on evil women. And today, of course, we're going to be talking about Nurse Ratched and the Cuckoo's Nest. But first, shall we have a little bit of Shakespeare? Lovers and madmen such seething brains, such shaping fantasies, that apprehend more than cool reason ever comprehends. The lunatic, the lover, and the poet are of imagination or compact. One sees more devils than vast hell can hold. That is the madman. You might recall those words spoken by Theseus in William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. The madman is the person who sees more devils than vast hell can hold. Today, what I want to do is we're going to enter the abode of madmen, an asylum imaginatively bodied forth, as Theseus said later in his speech, by a lunatic, Native American Chief Bromden, a lover, the white, uh, white American Randall McMurphy, and of course a poet, the white American novelist Ken Kesey. As in so many talks about evil women, the evil one herself is actually not given a voice to defend herself. In the novel, her presence is only invoked through the unreliable narrative voice of the schizophrenic chief who was himself conjured up by a notoriously misogynist Kesey in a fine frenzy rolling. The evil woman we turn to today is Nurse Ratched in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. The novel, which is considered still one of the best in the English language, was published in 1962. And celebrated filmmaker and Czech immigre Milos Forman turned it into a five times Academy Award winner in 1975. There have been numerous theatre versions of the story. Nurse Ratched, well, she does share some characteristics with our other evil heroines. But she is not the first sinner plucking apples from a tree. Indeed, her malevolence is presented as typical of womanhood. Her skin is smooth, not craggy with age. She is not murdered infants. Her prey, in fact, are adult men. And she is sexually frustrated rather than voracious. She is the female evil as the emasculating woman forcing men to conform to matriarchal norms and practices. She's, I think, particularly interesting for us today because she illustrates how notions of female evil change over time. As we'll see at the end of this talk, 21st century audiences view her very differently to earlier generations. But between 1962 and the 1990s, Ratchet held a prominent position in a catalogue of vice. Nurse Ratchet has been portrayed as abstract evil, diabolical machine, devouring mother, nurse, and amoral agent in a wider landscape of societal malevolence. So what I want to do right now is just look at each of these in turn. Nurse Ratchet 
as the epitome of abstract evil, was central to early analyses of her character. In a 1976 article entitled Americana Sweet and Sour, prominent film critic Stephen Faber mused that Nurse Ratchet was, in his words, an abstraction of evil without any of the human eccentricities that a truly dangerous tyrant has. Nearly a decade later, Robert F. Moss made a similar point in an article exploring the film version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He contended that, so savagely is this prim despos characterized in the film, both in the writing and in Louise Fletcher's frighteningly persuasive performance, that students view the monstrous evil she perpetrates with the hor horrified fascination that the filmmakers intended to invoke. The fact that such a formidable villain is only a lowly psychiatric nurse makes the film's achievements all the more extraordinary. He contended that Nurse Ratchet was a vivid, as vivid an example of a sadist as any teacher could want. Now, this abstract portrayal of female malevolence is less persuasive than evil as a sort of diabolical machine, devoid of humanity, devoid even of a soul. In the novel, readers are informed that she walks stiff and carries a wicker bag filled with wheels and gears, cogs polished to a hard glitter, tiny pills that gleam like porcelain, needles, forceps. The lipstick stain that she leaves on the rim of a coffee cup is not a trace of her femininity, but simply due to mechanical overheating. As the chief says, it must be from heat. Touch of her lips set it smouldering. The chief describes her in terms of this kind of electric current that, in his words, extends in all directions on hair-like wires too small for anyone's eyes but mine. I see her sit in the centre of this web of wires like a watchful robot. She is both machine and beast. Again, in the chief's words, her nostrils flare open and every breath she draws, she gets bigger. She works the hinges in her elbows and fingers. I hear a small squeak. She starts moving and I get back against the wall and when she rumbles past, she's already big as a truck, trailing that wicker bag behind in her exhaust like a semi behind a Jimmy Diesel. Her lips are parted and her smiles going on before her like a radiator grill. I can smell hot oil and magneto spark when she goes past, and as every step hits the floor, she blows up a size bigger, blowing and puffing, roll down anything in her path. Her name is a near homophone of ratchet, which is a mechanism with inclined teeth into which your paw drops. It allows effective movement, effective motion in one direction only. The only direction of movement is hers. Her main aim is to run her ward, quote, like a smooth precision made machine. 
while the hero, the anti-hero of the book is nature's masculine embodiment. McMurphy with his relentless humor, sexual cockery and irreverent quips. Nurse Ratchet, in contrast, is austere, staff sharp corners and blistering heat. She is a mechanical dragon of the apocalypse, which Kesey mentioned in the novel's dedication. The third, and this is the most dominant conception of evil, is the evil mother stroke nurse. Nurse Ratchet is a classic great bitch mother who devours or cripples her way with children, one critic explained in 1980. Just listen to that language that he's using. Classic great bitch mother um, who devours or cripples her way with children. Adding that the gentle haze of natural earth imagery, which once surrounded the image of mother, has been replaced by the imagery of mechanical bestiality. Big Nurse is the devouring mother. The chief calls her a smiling flower-faced old mother with two big boobs. Her lips are coated in the two red lipstick and are like a doll's lips, ready for a fake nipple. Unlike the nurturing qualities of a good mother's lips and breasts, Ratchet's ones are mockeries of motherhood, in part because she denies her own femininity with the same stubborn tenacity that she disallows McMurphin's uh, masculinity. Chief observes that she chose, quote, to ignore the way nature had tagged her with those outsized badges of femininity, just like she was above him in sex and everything else that's weak and of the flesh. Ratchet is evil, according to this argument, because she takes on the male role. McMurphy complains that, seen them all over the country and in the homes, people who try to make you weak so they can get you to toe the line. You even, you ever been kneed in the nuts in a brawl, buddy? If you're up against a guy who wants to win by making you weaker instead of making himself stronger, just watch for his knee. He's going for your vitals. And that's what the old buzzard is doing, going for your vitals. She was doing what men do in a brawl, knead you in the guts. But this is even more emasculating when performed by a woman. In the novel, women, especially mothers and wives, are the nemesis of virile manhood. Billy Bibbit's first word was ma. He is infantilized by Big Nurse, and when she threatens to tell his mother about his first sexual encounter, he kills himself. The only thing lobotomized Ruckley says is fuck the wife. Similarly, Dale Harding was unable to sexually please his promiscuous wife, intimidated by her ample breasts. He, though, is the first to acknowledge to the newly admitted McMurphy that we are all victims of a matriarchy here. The only man spared the emasculation of a wife wanting new linoleum is McMurphy. Although even he 
has found himself in prison and then psychiatric institution for the statutory rape of a girl, 15, going on 35. And it's not just the patients whom Nurse Ratchet oppresses. The male doctors are also in her grip. This is made clear by Harding, who observes that Dr. Spivy, quote, is exactly like the rest of us, completely conscious of his inadequacy. He's a frightened, desperate, ineffectual little rabbit, totally incapable of running this ward without our Miss Ratchet's help. And he knows it. And worse, she knows he knows it and reminds him every chance she gets. Every time she finds he's made a little slip in the bookwork or in, say, the charting, you can just imagine her in there, grinding his nose in it. The doctors, in other words, are the mirror image of the patients. We are all rabbits for Ratchet. What the patients need, readers are told, is a good, strong wolf, like the nurse, to teach us our place. Evil, as the bad mother, nurse, a part of a long tradition of anxieties about women, especially mothers and nurses, who hold positions of power over vulnerable boys and men. When Kingsley was writing, this was represented most powerfully in the concept of Mormism, a term popularized by Philip Wiley in his 1942 collection, Generation of Vipers. Wiley's book was a bestseller and in 1950 was selected by the American Library Association as one of the most important non-fiction books in the first half of the century. In it, he argued that the mealy look of men today is the result of Mormism, and so is the pinched and baffled fury in the eyes of womankind. He contended that modern white moms were smothering and feminizing their male children. Mom, he wrote, is a middle-aged puffin with an eye like a hawk that has just seen a rabbit twitch below. She is about 25 pounds overweight, with sharp heels and a hard backhand, which she does not regard as a foul, but as a womanly defense. In a thousand of her, there is not sex appeal enough to budge a hermit ten paces off a rock ledge. And for those of you who have read the novel, a very similar comment was actually made by McMurphy about Nurse Ratched. Wiley contended that American women sought the possession of the spirit of a man in a way that resembled slavery. These themes appear time and time again in post-war American discourse, a misogynist response to Cold War fears of impotence against an almighty Soviet empire. For this, women, especially mothers, were to blame. They were both overprotected and the opposite, maternally cold. They were promiscuous, yet frigid. Scientific weight, though, was lent to such arguments by the prominent psychiatrist Edward Strecker, who had been president of the American Psychiatric Association, most notably in his book entitled Their Mother's Sons, The Psychiatrist Examines an American Problem, which came out in 1946. He wrote about momarchies that failed to, in his words, 
Untie the emotional apron string, the silver cord which binds her children, and he meant male ones, to her. As a result, men were militarily useless, emasculated, and immature. Monarchies were fundamentally due to women's unwillingness to accept their femininity and preordained deferential role in society. There were only two ways to deal with the evil mother, nurse. The first was rape, which in the novel not only puts the big nurse in her place, but is also celebrated as a form of male bonding. In the novel, the rape of Nurse Ratched takes place in full view of the other men on the ward and the orderlies, but they merely look on. While the patients acknowledge that the true enemy is much larger than Nurse Ratched, it is the Combine. It is the female representative of the total institution who is attacked. In other words, evil is individualized and feminized. The big nurse is evil, while the combine is simply all-powerful. In other words, hatred of women stronger than hatred of the establishment. The second way of dealing with the evil mother stroke nurse is through male sacrifice. The hypo-male bibbit is the ritualized sacrificial lamb of the ancient world. He slits his own throat in the psychiatrist's chair, the equivalent of the holy priest's throne. The hyper-male, McMurphy, is sacrificed in accordance with the 20th century practice of lobotomy as a way of dealing with disruptive people. He doled out his life for us to live, the chief believed. Unfortunately, many reviewers of the novel echo rather than critique the evil woman motif. For example, just a few examples. 1976, one reviewer called the 15-year-old girl who was raped by McMurphy a crafty little slut who set him up for the slaughter. 1994, John Zabuzareta, writing in the literature film Quarterly, ruled that Nurse Ratchet was monstrous and the sex worker who gave such comfort to Billy Bibbit was a squiggling tart. While he deemed the lobotomy of our hero, his term, to be the nurse's brutal castration of Randall's randy masculinity, his review does not even mention his hero's brutal rape of Nurse Ratched. Such problematic, and let's just call it misogynistic, reportage is even found in critiques that purport to adopt a feminist line. One critic informed his readers that, 19, in 1962, when the novel was published, many readers were blissfully ignorant of the sexual prejudices that Kesey reinforced. But in the last decade, we have lost our innocence. Kesey's belligerent machismo no longer seems so charming. We are more aware of the contempt for women that underlies this all-male idyll. The slippery thing about Cuckoo's Nest is that the profound 
and admirable values that it champions are inseparable from the insidious sexual per uh, prejudices that it perpetrates. It is a statement that, if you noticed, erases all the female characters. It's an all-male idyll. And his we ignores the numerous feminist critics of the novel who are not so ignorant of the novel's female-hating themes. He also implies that ignorance about misogyny is blissful and charming, and becoming aware of it results in a loss of innocence, a casting out of the wholesome Garden of Eden, presumably by the evils of feminism rather than the devil's snake. The trope of the bad mother, nurse, is highlighted by the novel's characterizations of good women. These are Candy and Sandy with sweet names, whores with hearts of gold. They are sex workers who don't even want to be paid. There's also a good nurse, who is, no surprise here for anyone who heard my last lecture, orientalized. The Japanese nurse not only adopts the feminine role of nurturing patients on the disturbed ward, she also accepts the perspective of the male protagonists. She admits that, I sometimes think all single nurses should be fired after they reach 35 explicitly endorsing, in other words, the view that Ratchet's cruelty against men is due to sex starvation. This dichotomy between the evil and the good nurse is unfortunately not a new one. We can all think of the black-stockinged, short-skirted nurses of carry-on films, Holby City and pornography. Stark contrast, for example, to the calculating sirens in the works of some novelists. Um, I'm thinking here about Nancy uh, McLuhan's in Welcome to the Money House, who also, by the way, gets her just desserts by being viciously raped. Indeed, such demonization of nurses has a very, very long history involving real women as well as fictionalized ones. The most notorious example is Leighton Strachey's 1918 portrayal of Florence Nightingale, the mother of modern nursing. Strachey not only portrays Nightingale as demonic, but also as a castrator of men. He claimed that a demon possessed her, and when ill, a demonic frenzy seized upon her. She possessed a superhuman equanimity, he maintained, that masked her dangerous temper, something peevish, something mocking. What he seems to have found most intimidating was her, to his mind, uh, masculinity. Strachey claimed that Nightingale dominated her friends, her friend and co-reformer Sidney Herbert, effectively demasculinizing him. As Strachey put it, it is almost true to say that the roles were reversed. The qualities of pliancy and sympathy fell to the man. Those of command and initiative fell to the woman. She took hold of him, absorbed him, dominated him through and through. The diabolical evil crimes of Florence Nightingale was to be a powerful woman who had a powerful effect. There is another, less commented on, aspect to the conception of evil as mother 
nurse. This implicates race. Nurse Ratchet's supporters in the novel, more so than in the film, are her African-American orderlies, who, like Nurse Ratchet, are bent on humiliating the patients. Readers are told that years of training and all three black boys tune in closer and closer with the big nurse's frequency. One by one, they are able to disconnect the direct wires and operate on beams. They are in contact they are in contact on a high voltage wavelength of hate and the black boys are out there performing her bidding before she even thinks of it. They become like her, part of her electric current that extends in all directions on hair-like wires. They too sit in the center of this web of wires like a watchful robot bent on harm. The final aspect of Nurse Ratched's evil lies in her location within totalizing institutions, including fascism and psychiatry. After all, the, no the novel recognizes that she is not alone in her evil. Nurse Ratched draws her power from something much bigger. The Combine was excised in the film version. And this, by the way, called, uh, caused Kesey so much bitterness, claiming that it undermined his anti-authoritarian message or the conspiracy, as he put it, that is America. But it is really, really important in the novel. As the chief acknowledged, it's not just the big nurse by herself, but it's the whole combine, the nationwide combine that's the really big force, and the nurse is just a high-ranking official for them. The most extreme version of this um, critique sets Nurse Ratched in the context of fascism and its pernicious tendency towards genocidal obedience. In the words of the 1975 critic, in the words of a 1975 critic, the humanistic virtues of McMurphy are pitted against the neo-fascist vices of Big Nurse. Kesey's critique, though, was linked more to broader anti-authoritarian concerns at the time. For example, when the lights go down, 1980, Pauline Kale sees the big nurse as the smiling, well-organized institutional type, the dean of women who is disappointed in you, the phone company supervisor who tells you why she has to interrupt your service for non-payment. More typically, this wider system of evil was, of course, the insane asylum itself. Kesey had worked as a night aide in the Menlo Park Veterans Hospital in California and had been horrified by what he saw. His concerns were best exemplified by sociologist um, Irving uh, Goffman in his classic book, Asylums, Essays on the Social Situation of Mental Patients and Other Inmates, which came out in 1961, a year before One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. For Goffman, psychiatric hospitals were worse than prisons because they not only dehumanized men, but also demasculinized them, treating them as sexless, sexless, dependent women. In Kesey's novel, this turning of men into women takes place through inserting controls or head installations into a person's brain, leading to machine-like conformity. Men become 
just another robot for the combine. Within the combine, Nurse Ratchet's role is to create a therapeutic community based on rigid rules. As she tells the patients, a good many of you are in here because you could not adjust to the rules of society in the outside world. She would enforce obedience. Central to this was the glass station in the ward, enabling the patients to be always observed. As many others um, have noted, this is Jeremy Bentham's panoptico, transpo transposed from the prison to the asylum. The panopticone was designed around a central tower where guards could look into every cell. Prisoners always felt that they were under observation, even if when they were not. Um, famously, in Discipline and Punish, the Birth of the Prison, published 13 years after the publication of Kinsey's novel, Michel Foucault argued that the was, panopticon was designed to induce in the inmate a state of conscious and permanent visibility that assures the automatic functioning of power. This architectural apparatus should be a machine for creating and sustaining the power relations independent of the person who exercises it. In short, that the inmates should be caught up in a power situation of which they themselves are the bearers. For Bentham, Foucault continued, power should be visible and unverifiable. Visible. The inmate will constantly have before his eyes the tall outline of the central tower from which he is spied upon. Unverifiable. The inmate must never know whether he is being looked at at any one moment, but he must be sure that he may always be so. As if the all-seeing eye failed to and if the all-seeing eye failed to terrify the patient prisoners into submission, North Ratchet also had access to the greatest power of all: lobotomy, or as McMurphy put it, frontal lobe castration. Adding, "I guess if she can't cut below the belt, she'll do it above the eyes." Finally. Have the novel and films made any difference on attitudes to femininity? As I said earlier, they reflected many misogynist attitudes towards powerful women, that so many male reviewers could echo the tropes of female evil is, I think, evidence of that. Similarly, the fact that so many feminists pushed back against such characterizations also tells us a great deal about tensions in American gender relations during the Cold War. Accomplished actresses such as Anne Bancroft, Angela Lasbury, Geraldine Page, Colleen Dewhurst and Alan Bernstein turned down the role of Nurse Ratched in Forum's film. Pullman's film on the grounds that the character was portrayed in misogynist ways. This suggests that a powerful critique of such tropes was, psych was psych circulating widely. There was also interest in the way that film couldn't have an impact on people's attitudes. This was not new. As early as 1916, Hugo Munsterberg, a pioneer in applied psychology, had published the photoplay, a psychological study which traced the way melodramas affected viewers.
One flu of the cuckoo's nest has elicited many such investigations. Just a few. In the early 1980s, for example, George Domino was able to show that college students who watched the film developed strong negative views towards mental health professionals, Nurse Ratched. But such negative responses were in decline by the 21st century. In other words, what's I think interesting is that attitudes to Nurse Ratched became less punitive. 2009, for example, a study conducted by Deborah Boschini and Norman Keltner found more sympathetic responses. Audiences for the film seemed to be more forgiving of big nurses' actions. As one psychiatric nurse commented, Nurse Ratchet, as was played by Louise Fletcher, was simply an imperfect psychiatric nurse who does do more things right than she does wrong. She added that, throughout the film, I found myself relating to her circumstances and asking, how should an effective psychiatric nurse respond? Many times when patients became angry or confrontational, she maintained her com composure. The film seems to suggest that she was a cold-hearted monster because she almost never lost her cool, when in fact it was her job to remain calm and not respond emotionally to challenges from patients, especially not patients with antisocial behavior. Ratchet is not worth the title of villain. An older psychiatric nurse agreed. She noted that when Nurse Ratchet first appeared in the film, she was draped in a white uniform, white shoes, white cap. Although this was, she went on, constructed to evoke judgments of rigidity, compulsivity, etc. In fact, she had the opposite effect on me. It made me long for the days when one could tell who the nurses were, as opposed to much of the sloppy apparel, long fingernails and unprofessional behavior one encounters today. In other words, the big nurse was a nostalgic reminder of a more orderly society where everyone did know and perform their place. Some of these responses to Nurse Ratched seemed to be generational. This was what Jennifer Lamb concluded when, in, 2000, in 2019, she compared attitudes of her students and baby boomers, 1960s to 80s, to the film. The earlier generation of interviewees were nearly unanimous in concluding that Nurse Ratched was evil, and they used that term. This was strongly contested by the younger students. In the words of one, yeah, she's mean, but in my opinion, you don't get the sense she's evil. You feel like she's tough, but not necessarily mean-spirited, and that she actually may want to do the best for the patients, even if she doesn't know exactly how to accomplish that. She doesn't seem evil. She just seems institutionalized. Lamb concluded, that more recent readings of the film by younger audiences resulted in a upside-down reading of the original cultural script, with the villains turned into objects of some sympathy, and the iconic anti-hero no longer the principal source of the film's appeal. What I find interesting is that the redemption of Nurse Ratched went hand in hand with the deteriorating standing of the anti-hero McMurphy. 
This was particularly evident in the contrasting interpretations of the scene where McMurphy asks his girlfriend to have sex with Billy Bibbit. While the older generation interpreted this act as heroic, therapeutic, the younger students found it exploitative, coercive, and inappropriate. They did not label it evil, however. In conclusion, let's return to Theseus in A Midsummer Night's Dream. He tells us that lovers and madmen have such seething brains, such shaping fantasies that apprehend more than cool reason ever comprehends. The lunatic, the lover, and the poet are of imagination or compact. One sees more devils than vast hell can hold. That is the madman. This whole series of lectures has circled around questions of evil, of madness, of femininity, of the innumerable ways more than vast hell can hold that devil women have been portrayed and used to diminish the lives of flesh and blood ones. Today, we have explored these issues through the lens of novelist Ken Kesey and filmmaker Foreman, with their creative eyes in a fine frenzy rolling. They have given substance to Nurse Ratched, the big nurse, bad mother, castrator of primal masculinity. In Theus's words, their imagination bodies forth the forms of things unknown and turns them to shapes and gives to airy nothing a local habitation and name. Readers and audience too body forth, giving context and naming what we desire and fear. The power of critique is that of reinterpreting the stories we are told, including tales of evil. Today, Nurse Ratched is back on our screens in the TV series called Ratched, which premiered last year. What will this Ratched convey about badness, madness, and evil as we imagine it today? Thanks very much. I'm really pleased you listened to this. And just to say, my next lecture is going to be a pretty tough one, I'm afraid. It's on Myra Hindley. Um, so join me on Thursday, 13th of May, 6pm. And thanks again for coming. Bye.